Hey everyone, and welcome back to Section. I'm Halima, one of your journalists, and this week I got to speak to Dr. David Barron, the head of the Division of Cardiovascular Surgery at SickKids Hospital and Professor of Surgery at the University of Toronto. In our lengthy conversation, we got to speak all about his work in surgery and at SickKids, and so here is some of that conversation now. And could you run us through the types of conditions and procedures that you commonly um, work on on your day-to-day I, I understand probably there's probably a large diversity within that, but just the most common you. Yeah, well, there is, and it's um, uh, I, you know, we, it, the, the risk is we go, we start wandering off into a kind of lesson in, in in anatomy of the heart, but really, most of the things that we deal with, as I say, in particularly in, in uh, um, the newborn babies and infants, are are conditions that really used to be lethal that there was felt to be no treatment for, and. Uh, but the commonest of the things are still, you know, conditions like holes in the heart, where you get, um, you know, the, the heart doesn't quite form properly and has a hole within it, which causes um, heart failure and uh, can damage the lungs very quickly uh, in childhood. But also, really, there are an extraordinary range of, of different sort of uh, unusual uh, conditions which we see uh, in, in almost every aspect of the heart. So if you can kind of imagine it, it can probably exist. So uh, often the great arteries, uh, so the arteries that go to your heart and to the uh, to the your the arteries that go to the to the body and to the lungs can sometimes be the wrong way around, um, and they need, that needs to be corrected. Sometimes the veins joining the heart don't connect to the heart properly, uh, and we have to reroute them to connect them. Sometimes you're only born with one artery instead of two, and we have to make uh, an additional one. And also, you very commonly can get narrowings in the main arteries. Uh, or, or the valves within the heart, even as a newborn, which can all be treated surgically and enlarged and made back, hopefully towards normal. And an important, another important group of who we, uh, the children we treat are those where you're really only born with one uh, functional ventricle. So that means you know our normal healthy hearts have two ventricles, one to support the the, the main circulation and one to support the lungs. But is uh, you know, but it, there are very there are many situations where the heart may only really have one useful ventricle, and then we have ways now of uh, using that one uh, ventricle uh, really to supply both the body and the lungs, and that often requires a whole series of surgeries uh, during the first few years of life to uh, you know give these children really get them back to a normal quality of life. So there are all those aspects as well, of course, as uh, transplantation that we do here at Sick Kids. We have the biggest you know, transplant program in Canada, and uh, uh, do both heart and uh, lung transplants in children. Uh, and we have mechanical support systems to uh, support the, the failing heart in conditions uh, called cardiomyopathy, where the, the heart muscle is failing uh, within, within uh, what is actually a structurally normal heart. And I think out of all of the different I guess, conditions that you describe, heart transplants, I think are incredibly, incredibly interesting, even for somebody who may not even know much about medicine. It's so cool to think that you can take somebody else's heart and place it in somebody else's, do some kind of machinery and are able to, I guess, help that person live again. Could you describe maybe what it is that happens um, during a heart transplant surgery from, I guess, receiving the heart from the donor to getting it into the new person? No, yeah, of course. It it is, I mean, it is, uh, of course, an extraordinary um, achievement, I think, that we're able to, um, you know, to offer the, uh, offer transplant. It's always, of course, you know, we always would much prefer to be able 
uh, to do you know, conventional surgery and find ways of correcting uh, the circulation in the heart using, uh, you know, using our, our routine sort of types of cardiac surgery. And that is possible in the vast majority of children. But usually uh, when it's actually the heart muscle that is failing, that's when we uh, have to really consider the option of transplantation. And uh, the whole, you know, again, you know, going back to the number of people involved and the, the level of expertise at so many levels is, is the real secret to uh, the whole concept of transplantation. So, um, you know, so that, that not only involves simply the, the physical process of, of organizing uh, the surgery itself, but particularly in the in the management of these children postoperatively, managing their immunosuppression, uh, so that you know there, there's, there's there's minimize that risk of, of rejection. And in fact, particularly with the case of the heart, the heart is a very you know successful uh, organ for transplantation in terms of being relatively you know free from uh, the risk of the risk of, re of rejection. And it does seem actually almost that in the, the younger you you, can, you do it, often the better the body will will accept the new organ but um you know it's a it's a it's a huge sort of uh, process of um both assessing the patients right out of the outset uh and, and uh, making sure that they're, they're truly appropriate and there's there are so many things to take into account in that sort of process a lot of course is is, is looking at the the family themselves and making them making sure the family and uh you know in, if they're older children that the children themselves that they understand what the implications and the consequences are and, and what their, how their life is going to going to change and, and need their complete kind of uh, buy-in to that, um, but also then the actual process of, of being able to select the appropriate matched uh, donors and uh, and then the logistics of doing the transplant itself. So you can imagine you need a whole separate team to be able to retrieve the organs, and often they can be you know as far away uh, you know as the far side of Canada. Uh, sometimes we'll take uh, uh, hearts from, from uh, even as far away as BC or from the States. So um, we have to have it always be able to, to, to drop everything to be able to organize that and then imagine the, the timing that's involved in making sure everything is then coordinated, takes a lot of, sort of choreography to make sure everything happens at the right time. So it's a really big undertaking and needs quite a big kind of infrastructure to make sure it works and depends really on the commitment of a lot of very sort of talented people. I think it definitely sounds far more complex than um, like Grey's Anatomy and shows like that make it seem where it just um, seems to happen like in an instant. I guess having completed over like 3,500 cardiac surgeries yourself, what is, I guess, the feeling like performing these kind of procedures oftentimes in these very high stress environments where you're working with children who, or not even children, working with babies who need these surgeries to survive? Yeah, it is, of course, it is a, it is a stressful job, but we kind of all know that when we go into it and you have to also remember that the rewards are are far outweigh those kind of stresses and seeing the impact you can make you know on children's lives and, and for their families and so it is very rewarding and and you know to some extent as a, in a as a surgeon in any specialty that you, you do have to have some sort of ability to distance yourselves from the emotive issues because um otherwise you know it's 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 it is it does become too stressful and I think um, what you rely on is is a, a sort of uh, a, a degree of confidence in your own ability, but also uh, all the people you have around you to help share the load and um, help you know, share those stresses, and that you you very much kind of rely on a kind of team ethic of of, of all supporting each other and being there 
uh, you know, when we recognize that, that these can be stressful situations. But I think you know, all of this, the more experience you have, uh, you, you, know, you get more, more comfortable, uh, you know, with, with managing these, these sorts of stresses. And, you know, I've often uh, been kind of amused over the years with people often sort of come to me who maybe aren't medical and ask, you know, when, when should I go and uh, who's the best surgeon to go and see? Should I, if, if I go and see a surgeon who's in his, his 40s, are they at the peak of their career? Are they, you know, are you, are you getting a bit past it when you get, when you get later in your career? And the, the, the bottom line is the more experienced you get, the, the better you get. And there's no substitute for the kind of experience that you gain from doing more and more surgery and you get more and more able to manage the kind of stresses and uh, you know be able to manage the most difficult situations so what i one of the many things i love about the job we do is that you know, is that the more you, you, you more the, you do it the more comfortable you feel in managing uh, the stresses mm -hmm. and i guess speaking of difficult situations how has your work changed during covid19 have you been producing not producing have you been conducting less surgeries or um since they are definitely life-changing procedures, how have the, I guess, situations and the procedures surrounding them um, changed during COVID? No, sure. I mean, of course, life has changed for all of us in, in an unimaginable way. We, having, you know, having said that, we have been incredibly lucky uh, here in sick kids. I'm sure, as you know, that on the whole, children have have not suffered um, really the bad uh, spectrum of symptoms from the disease, and they don't seem to get. Um, uh, severe uh, problems from even if they do get infected. So um, at Sick Kids, we've been we've been very lucky, really, in terms of the actual how it's impacted our work. So we are functioning at completely normal full capacity, um, and really have done so pretty well throughout the entire pandemic. Uh, and um, I'm glad to say that we haven't seen any sort of COVID cases amongst our cardiac uh, children. You know, they're all tested preoperatively. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, and we have had a couple of cases where we have unexpectedly tested positive, and so we've been able to delay their surgery. But we have we haven't had any uh, positive cases. It, it affects our day-to-day -day life because we all uh, are, are take have to take our precautions extremely seriously. So we all wear full, uh, you know, PPE protective equipment for all uh, surgery and in all the clinical areas. Um, and um, you know, as I say, all of our patients are tested. I think the, the, the most uh, disruptive thing for us is that all of our daily meetings, which are so much part of our sort of daily life, are all done on Zoom or on Teams. Um, so our, our human contact with each other as, as clinicians has been greatly reduced. And I think that's the one thing we really miss. Um, but, uh, but I say actually, fortunately, in terms of our activity, we're, we're functioning at completely normal capacity and normal normal activity, which we're very grateful for, and the, the hospitals have been great in, in making that happen. Mm -hmm. That is definitely very, very um, nice to hear, knowing that the children who need these procedures are able to get them despite all of the uncertainty right now. So going back to some of the work that you do, I know hypoplastic left heart syndrome is one of your main focuses in your research that I personally found particularly interesting. Could you run us through exactly what this type of condition is and how you go about treating it in the um, children that you treat? Yes, thank you. I mean, so we touched on this earlier. It's it, it's a bit of a mouthful the, the condition, but as you it, what it means is you're really born without a a, a a left ventricle at all. Your left ventricle is the main 
pumping chamber of your heart that supplies uh, the body. So, as you can imagine, the the it, it, the condition is, is lethal within a few days of life um, without any uh, intervention. And you know, although it's it's obviously it's, it's a very rare condition uh, within the whole spectrum of of all congenital heart disease, it's the single commonest reason for uh, you know, for neonatal death uh, related to the heart, uh, if not if, if untreated. Um, and so really we've been able to devise surgery over the last you know, 30 years, uh, which has uh, enabled you know, children with this condition to survive. And, and it involves quite a sort of complicated uh, operation as a newborn, where you really uh, combine, we use the right ventricle, so the one healthy ventricle that the baby has, uh, to really support not only the whole circulation, but also to support the lungs as well. Um, that surgery has really, you know, become uh, progressively more and more successful uh, over the past years. And, and Sick Kids has the biggest program for hypoplastic left heart in Canada. And it's, um, you know, these, so these children who, who, who really, you know, had no prospect of survival now really were expecting somewhere between, um, you know, 85 to 90% survival for these children to leave hospital. That and they, it's not the end of the road. They need two further planned uh, surgeries as they go up where you effectively really bypass the one side of the heart completely and we use a kind of passive circulation to supply the lungs so it does mean that you, you can't have a completely normal circulation what we aim to do uh, with these surgeries is to uh, get these children to as close as normal as we can achieve and we really expect them to have a pretty normal uh, quality of life uh, but they don't have the same exercise capability as their, their kind of their peers might have at school, um, but it's it's been a remarkable story the treatment for hypoplastic left heart, and we've we've learned so much as a as a specialty for managing these these some of the most kind of complex circulations, uh, which has had a huge impact on almost all of the other things that we do, particularly in neonatal cardiac surgery. So it's really been a, a passion of mine over the years, and we've been able to kind of develop some some slightly different or newer techniques to try and improve and maximize the outcomes in the newborn age. But um, you know, we still have many challenges ahead with these children because still living with only, uh, only one effective ventricle still puts a big challenge on the circulation. And many of these you know, children may still come to need further you know, support for their hearts when they're older. Um, I think it was quite incredible that you mentioned that they went from a point where there was very little survival to 80 and 85 and 90 percent. Um, I'm interested to know how did this kind of, I guess, increase in, um, I guess, success in these children with this condition come about? Was it through, I guess, new innovations in machinery, research or combination? Um, and, and how rapidly did that kind of innovation regarding this particular syndrome um, occur? It, it, well, it, it... It comes from all of those things that you've that you've mentioned, and um, uh, a lot of you know, I think it, it, a lot of the the step changes come in in true innovations that come you know from uh, you know individuals who who, who really uh, push the the boundaries of what we can do. Um, but none of those none of those step changes are possible without the sort of background of a of this gradual sea change improvement and advancement in the sort of technology and the abilities that we have, um, you know, which make these things sort of possible. Um, but I think, you know, it, it is true that, that, that a lot of the real changes do 
kind of depend on truly kind of you know, innovative individuals that drive these things forward. And then, um, you know, new lines of research and application, you know, will come uh, come along to kind of constantly kind of push push the whole thing forward. So, for example, we're looking uh, at sick kids of ways uh, of maybe um, using stem cell technology to help these uh, hearts with a, only a single ventricle, help to maximize uh, the way that these um, the hearts and the muscle of the heart can improve and grow and strengthen uh, to give it its kind of maximum potential in the future. Mm -hmm. And I think a nice way for us to end off this interview is with some advice. I know a lot of the students who listen to this podcast are in undergrad or pursuing medical school or what have you. So being a surgeon requires incredible dedication and patience without a doubt. But most notably, I think one skill that's really interesting is precision. I think a quality that many of us could adopt in our lives with our goals. So how would you recommend to a become not only more patient but more precise with the things that they pursue in their lives be it medicine or what have you yes it's i mean it's i i, I think the most important thing uh, when you're uh you know, going through uh med school or even you know even you're still at high school is is to try and keep uh, an open mind and 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 not try and uh second guess what you think you're going to be like in the future or what you think uh, you're going to want to do so um, try and and, and 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 keep an open mind. Try and absorb as much information as you can. So every opportunity you get to experience something that you think you might be interested in, you know, grab it with both hands. So I always tell the sort of the, the medical students to to try and see as much as they can and um, go to every specialty, get into the ORs, get into the outpatient clinics, and really get a feel for what you think it's going to be like. Because often the kind of what, what you imagine in your head of what life will be like doing that as a career, it may be different when you actually you know, spend a few weeks actually in amongst the team and, and doing it. So try and see everything and keep your mind open and don't sort of you know, necessarily label yourself too early on so that you really, you really feel um, you know what you want to do as, uh, as, your, as your life kind of evolves. Because we all change and evolve as the years go by and there are so many different factors in your life which will you know, dictate what you're going to enjoy doing and what you think you know rather than what you think you want to do so try and find something that you really enjoy that you're interested in and will keep you stimulated and interested for your whole career um, but don't try and do something just because you think it sounds good or you think it's exciting your 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 natural instincts will, will, will take you towards what really you're interested in and on that note, thank you so much, Dr. Barron, for joining us today. That advice was incredible. I definitely need to take it myself. Um, I don't want to take <laughs> your time from saving lives. I know that's definitely a priority right now. So thank you so much for joining us today.